Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 108, Achieving Racial Unity Through Fictional Writing, with the author of Forced Turnovers, Tony Sabalas. Hi, this is Garland Vance, author of Getting Unbusy, helping you to overcome overwhelm and be more productive. Dr. Brad Miller helps you to claim victory over adversity here on the Pathway to Promise podcast. You're on the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes every person has a God-given promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and that you must have a plan and a guide to get there. The Pathway to Promise podcast not only is your guide through the wilderness of depression and disappointment that stand between you and your promised life, but also brings you insights and direction from inspiring, successful thought leaders who have transformed their lives. Welcome to the Pathway to Promise. Now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. And I believe that you are a good person. I believe all people are good people. No matter what their race or their religion or their walk in life, or their social economic status. But not everyone believes the same about other people. We know that prejudice exists in the world. Let me give you a couple of sobering statistics. According to Pew Research Center, 58% of all adults believe race relations in the United States are generally bad. According to a poll by ABC News, 66% of Americans believe race relations in the United States are generally bad. According to a poll by NBC News, 68.4% of Americans believe racism remains a problem in American society and politics. And according to the Rasmussen poll, only 22% of American adults would rate race relations in America as good. Or excellent, or excellent. Indeed, there's something wrong with that picture. We know that race relations is an issue in the United States and indeed around the world. And here's the question: What if something could be done about that? Here at the Pathway to Promise, we believe that it can be if we believe that each person is a good person. If we have a special guest with us today, who's going to be talking about race relations and improving unity in race relations through the power of the medium of fictional writing. His name is Tony Sabalas, and he's the author of Forced Turnovers. We'll get to his story in just a second. We did want you to know here at Pathway to Promise, we're all about good people just like you and helping good people to face adversity, whatever it is, including racial adversity in order to get through these times, in order to achieve what we believe is your God-given, promised life. That's the promised life for a good person like you, of peace and prosperity and purpose. We can, you can go to pathwaypromise.com and we have a free gift for you there that will be helpful, as well as other great interviews and great teaching about overcoming adversity to achieve your good life, your promised life, you good people. Let me share with you that when it comes to race relations, this hits home for, for me in a very pertinent way. I'm a, uh, I happen to be a pastor. I've been a pastor for about 40 years, and currently I serve a church in a very urban area. I happen to be white. 
in my 60s. And the church I serve is in a community that is mostly black and Hispanic. And a lot of people who are living in poverty and a high crime rate and other problems in society. So in my community, we see issues regarding race relations every day. And we know that, yes, there are definitely problems, there are issues. But when you listen and you learn and you decide to make a commitment to get along and live together, good things can happen. But our story today isn't about me and the ministry and the church that I'm a part of. Today, we want to learn in a fascinating way from an author by the name of Tony Sabalas, who's written a number of books and various topics that he has an interest in. He's in public speaking. He is, teaches on, a relay, in a, on an array of subjects, including time management and finance and skill sets. He's involved with prison ministry. But he has a special heart for race relations. And even though he's a white gentleman, he write, and he lives in Kansas City area, he writes about folks in, in the South, in Georgia, and about the issue and a fictional account about a white basketball coach in a predominantly black school and about all the things that happened there. There's a bombing. This is 1968. There's a bombing in the school that elicits great fear, uh, great destruction, but no, it kills no one. But it elicits a whole series of events that uh, the plot re- revolves around the matters of racial disharmony and then racial, racial unity. We want to get in this to today, and uh, we've got a great conversation with Tony, and he has some great things to say in his book, Forced Turnovers. I want you to listen carefully. Listen carefully, my friend, my good people, to the message of Tony Sabalas that he's going to impart to us here today about uh, a novel for racial unity, Forced Turnovers. One of the matter, issues that really matters in our world right now is racism. It is prevalent. It is a part of our life. And it really impacts almost every aspect of the human experience. And Tony Sabalas is the author of First Force Turnovers. It's a fictional work, but he speaks to this matter of improving the world through dealing with the matters of racism. Tony wants to, he, he has a motto of wanting the best for you. And he has done this in his writing and in his teaching. And he wants to spread a message of racial unity. And he does that through his work and, and on his website, which is Tony uh, com, and through his book, Forced Turnovers. Our guest today on the Pathway to Promise, Tony Sabalas. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. It's so good to hear your voice again. It's good to hear you, and it's good to be in connection with you as we've got to know each other at a conference here recently. And I've enjoyed learning about what you're about. I uh, pastor a church in an urban area, which is multi-ethnic, multicultural, and you you have a work, uh, your book here is speaking to issues that matter regarding uh, regarding racism and uh, and issues regarding facing the facts of life and helping to move through some difficult things in, in life and spreading a message of racial unity. But I get a feeling, uh, Tony, in your life that you've had to face some of your own challenges as well. And I'd just like to hear a little bit about your story, about kind of what things have you faced in your life and what then led then to writing this book to try to 
to process some things in your life. Tell us your story. Absolutely, Brad. Well, let me, let me start by saying this. Adversity, and I appreciate you tackling the, the subject of adversity, and here's why. Adversity does not discriminate. We all deal with adversity. I remember uh, several years ago, I was watching a, uh, a show, and this show would always go behind the scenes and talk about different music groups and how they developed through the years. And I started to know a common theme, Brad, that all of these music groups, despite being popular and famous and lucrative, they all had some kind of tragic component to the story. And I started to catch on and say, you know what? Every person who's ever walked the face of the earth has dealt with some kind of adversity. And I would pose the argument that if you've never known adversity, you haven't been born yet. Mm. And so uh, in my own life, uh, I don't want to, uh, you know, oversell uh, my hardships because I have been very blessed. I want to say that first and foremost, I grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved me. And for many people, that's a, a great head start in life. So I'm very thankful for that. At the same time, I uh, suffered the loss of both parents, not as a child, I was a young adult, but uh, certainly uh, my parents left this world uh, to go home to be with the Lord before I would have liked. I lost a brother in a car accident about a decade ago, an older brother. Um, I have uh, had a home struck by a tornado. And uh, these are just things that happen, not because God has forsaken us, but just because we're alive and living. And uh, I believe the words of Jesus were, um, in this world, you will have trouble, uh, but be a good cheer for I have overcome the world. So I think the point in life is not to try to completely avoid adversity because that's very counterintuitive. But the point is, how do we um, endure adversity with God's help? And, and even more so, um, how do we uh, learn from it? That's and awesome. learn from the adversity. Yeah. So what are, you just mentioned, how do we learn from it? So what were you know, you mentioned about the loss of both your parents and your brother in a tornado and just a number of circumstances, which are tragic on any level, but you said you learned from those. What, some of the, what are some of the lessons that you learned and how are you now applying them in your work? Absolutely. I had a, uh, uh, I knew of a minister and, and I heard him speak one time and he was dealing with tremendous uh, disappointment and here he was a, a, a pastor, and you would figure that if anyone would catch a break, right, it would be a pastor of the gospel. <laughs> but this pastor was sharing tremendous uh, disappointment, and he had just kind of a conversation with God, and he said, God, you really disappointed me. I'm going to be honest with you. You've really disappointed me. And, right, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Some people claim to have heard him. I have not. I just try to stick with the scriptures and, 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 and seek him daily through prayer. But this minister shared that uh, he actually got a response from God. And here was the response. You may be disappointing in, in me, but I have never left you. Mm, just like I awesome. said, I have never yeah. left you. And that's the way it's been. That's been the overarching uh, theme in my life. Yes, there have been some, some very difficult times, but God has never left me. He never let my faith, even though my faith would start to smolder, Brad, and some very difficult times, he never let that faith become snuffed out. And every time it felt like I had come to the end of the road or a brick wall or a mountain that could not be moved, 
suddenly a way would be made where there seemed to be no way. And God would see me through from that stage of life to the next. Hmm, that is awesome. And that, you know, because what you're describing there is this sense of sensibility of having the, having the, uh, a constant presence in your life, a spiritual presence, what you're describing. And yet a lot of people don't have that. They have a sense of meaninglessness in their life or emptiness in their life. And you mentioned it sometimes when it ebbed and flowed in your life, but you've had an over, overarching presence there that, that is there. And that's an awesome thing. What's led you then in this process to have this sense of contentment? And what did you learn from that that maybe you can teach other people, either through your book or through other things you're, you're doing? How, in other words, what I'm getting at, for all the folks that are out there who do not have that sense of uh, peace, what are some things you've learned that can, you can help share with others? Absolutely, Brad. Well, first and foremost, let me tell your listeners this. And, and you know, I was praying before I even came on, and, and, and my prayer is always that the exact people who need to hear your message, Brad, and my message will hear it. Yes. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is how I feel. I, I am a man of faith because I'm a man of logic and reason. And that's how I arrive at my faith. And long story short, um, there is just too much evidence, in my opinion, that there is a God and his intelligence and understanding is far beyond mine. So once I came to that decision, Brad, you may have heard of this old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and that's to just to simplify and boil down my relationship with God. I tried to beat God. I tried to live life my own way. I, I, I remember it. I liken it to walking in a circle, Brad. I was in a very angry circle as a young adult. And every time I tried to get a step ahead, I'd literally go five steps backward. And I continued on that securitist path for for three years. And then I finally just said, God, there's no way I can beat you. So I'm going to try joining you. And when that happened, Brad, when I accepted God, I accepted him um, through forgiveness, through his son, Jesus, it, it, everything changed. And that's why I tell people, I don't get pulled into deep philosophical discussions because it, it's, there's no need for it to go there for me. I tell people, this is why I believe in God, because before I believed in God, nothing changed. And after I believed in God, things started to change. So that daily relationship with God, ever since I made that decision, has brought contentment, it's brought peace, it's brought joy that was never there before. And so that is my number one formula, is come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, and then enjoy that relationship each and every day. Because Brad, as we've, as we've highlighted, the tough times are going to come. They will come. It's inevitable. But God will either deliver you from those situations or sometimes he'll just lock his arm in yours and take you through it. So Brad, in my opinion, when you serve God, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be just so, you know, peaches and butterflies and little, you know, rainbows <laughs> and everything, but it means yeah. that you have an opportunity to push through those difficult times and do those. And, one of the things that just seems like you've done here, uh, Tony, to help you process some of this is through through your writing. Uh, I'd like you to share a little bit with me with about how writing has helped you process some of these things in your life, particularly as you have got into some you know, really tough issue here of, of racism that you that you deal with in your book, Forced Turnovers. But I kind of like to couching in terms of how you process this, how you process this personally and how it comes out in, a, in this, in this book. Tell us a little bit about that process. 
Yes, that's a great question, Brad. I find writing to be very therapeutic. And that's because it's, it's a personal uh, skill set I've been given. Now, I've met other people who would much rather, you know, uh, jump off a 200 foot cliff into the ocean than, than try to write. Okay. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, everyone is, everyone is different and I just encourage everyone. And, and here's the other benefit to serving God, Brad, is that I believe God created us with a, uh, a specific goal and skill set in mind. And so when you serve God, you can research your relationship with him and find that skill set. So when I look back over my life, there were early indications, even when I was in the fourth grade, Brad, that, that um, writing was a passion of mine. Other people recognized it. I recognized it. And in fact, at my recent book launch, Brad, um, I was so thankful that I was able to <laughs> locate my fourth grade teacher. Oh, what an honor. Many years ago. <laughs> and she was, <laughs> she was, now we both looked a little older. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh boy. But, okay. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was so great to see her again. So, what a Looking cool experience back, for both of you. That's great. That's great. Oh, uh, it was wonderful. So I was able to identify that gift and that ability in my life. Uh, but every time I write a book, Brad, it's very simple. It starts with a burden. I, I know writing a book can sound like a very uh, diligent, tedious, complex process. But for me, it's very simple. It starts with a burden. And when I get a burden to write a story, that burden is there until the story is finished and it's lifted. And in the case of, of forced turnovers, um, I was very blessed to be raised in a home with a, uh, a Mexican father and a white Caucasian mother. So I guess if you want to look at it this way, I came out right down the middle. Okay. But from that vantage point of in the middle, I got to see how both sides of the families lived and what they had been taught and then make a decision for myself. But I'm so thankful I was raised in a home where we were all viewed, every person, every race, man and woman, we were all viewed as created in the image of God. And when you look at the different races from that vantage point, Brad, we're created in the image of God. For me, that really sets the table uh, for any argument against uh, uh, any argument against anyone who would think one race is above another, because really, what we're doing uh, when we believe one race is superior to another, we're really uh, calling God to the carpet, so to speak, because it's He who's created us in His image and chosen the way we were going to be created, the race, the skin color. So. I'm thankful I was raised in a home where that was taught. And I think that's where some people have a deficiency just from the outset when we talk about racism, Brad, is they were taught another way of thinking that was incorrect. So I am very thankful in my writing and in the way I was taught as a, as a child that uh, we're all made in the image of God, Brad. Yeah, that image of God then was imparted through your uh, through your folks through that DNA, which is imprinted upon upon you, basically out of that relationship, and that's led you to have a worldview now that is much more uh, uh, open to the uh, value of all people. And what you're sharing yes. was for whatever pe whatever reason, who knows why? Why life happens? So a lot of people are valued to or raised to not value other folks, whether it's racially motivated or socioeconomically or, you know, through immigrants or anything, any number of things that we have going on in our world 
right, right now. And uh, so what you're trying to do here, if I understand what you're trying to do in your writing, in your book is to break through some of those barriers and also be a teaching, uh, uh, a way of teaching some things uh, to folks. So this Absolutely. Book, so forced turnovers, what are you teaching us in this book, forced turnovers about uh, this situation of the characters in this book and what's going on here? Tell us how, what are you trying to teach us here? Absolutely. Well, Brad, I learned this because I self-published four nonfiction books, all faith-based. And then I flipped the switch and went to, to fiction. And here's something I've learned about fiction is that if you can, uh, now this is not so much a spiritual component as much as it just as a pragmatic, practical approach. I've learned if you can earn people's trust through entertainment, uh, then they are much more likely to receive your message within the scope of that work. And so I wrote a book, in essence, that I would like to read. And I'm very simple-minded in that respect. I told you every book begins with a burden. And then to follow that up, I wrote a book I would like to read myself. And so my goal is in entertaining others that they will also take time to embrace the message. And in this particular book, uh, it's the story of a, an all-black high school. It's a fictitious high school an all-black high school that is attacked uh, by a local chapter uh, of, a, of a white supremacist group, which I think many of us who've studied history remember the group, the Ku Klux Klan. Yes, of and course. this uh, all-black school uh, fell victim of, a, of an evil bombing uh, of uh, a local chapter of white supremacists. Well, miraculously, despite the, the heinous attack, uh, attempted on their school. Miraculously, everyone survives. However, once this uh, crime was initiated, it set into action different protocols. For example, in Washington, D.C., uh, the FBI was set into motion, and they descend on the scene. And when they arrive on the scene, that local chapter uh, of white supremacists, they burrow underground, and, and, and a dance begins uh, between the FBI and the white supremacists. And while all this is happening amid the racial tension of the South in the late 60s, one white basketball coach, one white man who's a, uh, a geometry teacher, he feels compelled to go help. So this one white basketball coach suddenly finds himself in Macon, Georgia, in the late 60s, coaching basketball and teaching geometry at an all-black school. However, Brad, the, the focus of the story shifts from merely teaching and coaching basketball to this. Will he and his family survive? Hmm. And so that sets the table for what is a wild, suspenseful, action-packed ride in the book forced turnovers. Yeah. So relationships are key here. The ebbs and flows of relationships. There's the family dynamic. You've got the racial dynamic. You've got the dynamic of sports. You've got the dynamic of, of uh, small town culture. All kinds of things are inter interplayed here. And that's a, a fascinating thing. Where, why, um, why this metaphor of the basketball team, the white coach and the black players, why that metaphor? Unpack that for me a little bit. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Again, I think that's, you know, every book we write, Brad, I know, I know you're soon to be a, a published author. Um, I've done this before myself. Every book, whether fiction or nonfiction, every book that we ever write 
in some senses autobiographical, meaning there is some part of me hardwired either consciously or subconsciously into that book, whether we want to admit it or not. And again, I hearken back to my days of being raised by uh, my parents who didn't teach me, um, they didn't teach me what to think, they taught me how to think. And I remember growing up and playing basketball and sports with white kids and black kids and not thinking anything different about it. And so as I got older and started to see that other people uh, viewed that differently, I thought, huh, maybe we can do something that would help entertain people and get across a, a good message of racial unity. So that this book somewhat came from being a sports fan, uh, played basketball in high school, nothing special, but, but thoroughly enjoyed it. Glad I did. Had white teammates, had black teammates. Um, so again, autobiographical from that standpoint and simply wanting to uh, paint a story of, of unity and, and sports. You know, you don't have to be a sports fan to understand it, it brings unity it brings hard work and perseverance. Yeah. Just thought that would be a good way to broach that subject. Well, also, it's about telling a good, a good story. And, you know, when you have drama, the drama of sports, the drama of family, the drama of racial tensions and so on, all are, can be the framework of telling a great story. And as you said, to be entertaining is telling a great story. Even biblically, we know the parables or some of the ways that Jesus and some others told the great stories and then the to get the message across and the great stories we remember from the Old Testament to whether it be Moses on the mountain or you know the Red Sea or David and Goliath whatever those are great stories that we tell to, to teach the the, the the message here and it seems like you've got a message here that you are really trying to say one way or another that yeah things are bad uh, or things can be bad but things can also get better uh, and one of the things I like to think about as we think about overcoming adversity is what are the things that you can do to get better? What are the ways that we can use our loving relationships we have or the power of emotion? What are the ways we can draw on a, a higher power, a spiritual power? What are the disciplines that we can do uh, personally? Or what are the, uh, you know, what are the relationships that are involved here? What are some ways that you think we can get better, you know, based on your book and your teaching here? How can people get better? Yes. I'm glad you asked me that question. Now, I, I don't want to give away the entire uh, ending of the book, but I think I can dance around it enough to answer your question. Okay. Um, I believe wholeheartedly, and, and Dr. Brad, this is not something, and I have scoured the media landscape, and I'm hearing all types of input and feedback on the topic of racism and racial unity. But what I'm about to share with you now, I'm not hearing anywhere else. So this is somewhat uh, apparently revelatory information that I'm going to give you now. Okay. Um, Let us have it. I'm interested. You got okay, me intrigued. Okay. The root of racism and racial unity boils down to this whether we like it or not. It boils down to forgiveness and the receiving of forgiveness. And the reason why I say that is this. Brad, we're living in a country, and you know, there's nothing new under the sun. I, I'm not uh, myopic. I realize that our, not only our country, but uh, mankind, man and woman in general, this, this has been an issue uh, for generations. 
and, and crossing continents. And, and this is a racism is a tool, in my opinion, that the enemy uses. And it's one of the uh, lowest forms of hatred there is. And therefore, I see people at all times offering all types of solutions. But here's the bottom line. Unless we can realize that we've been wrong and ask for forgiveness, and unless those who have been wrong can forgive, this problem will always persist. It will continue because it is an individual grassroots effort. Now, I'm not going to make an anti-government statement. That's not what I'm saying here. But the solution is there's not a governmental solution for this. I'm not making a political or anti-political statement. I'm telling you there's no one political party that has a solution to this. The solution is on an individual, fundamental, grassroots level, and it is forgiveness and the receiving of forgiveness. Yeah. And Brad, that, that's where it starts, and that's where it ends in the heart of the individual. Sure. Well, it's got to be a – what I've heard you say here, Tony, this is about relationships. And so they cannot then – if it's about pers- interpersonal relationships, then that cannot be mandated by government or by business or by social media or by anything else. Those are all kind of frameworks or tools where that things can happen. It has to be, you know, one-on-one and in small groups and in community – in community where forgiveness and the asking of forgiveness, the receiving of forgiveness has to take place. And that's me, that's pretty fundamental to uh, of a understanding of uh, a faith-based life is forgiveness and asking for forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. And what you're saying, I believe is absolutely true, Tony, that it's, <laughs> that it's all, it's, it's so basic. And yet you're saying it's uh, not being employed very much. And so if it's not being employed, right. you know, it's, it, it's, it doesn't do any good to, to, uh, to not employ it. So we uh, need to do more of it. And I'm also hearing you say to be much more cognizant and, and make this, you know, very intentional about asking for forgiveness yeah. and being forgiveness. Yeah. So and, how, and Dr. Brad, if I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. If I could oh, interject please. right on that, expound that point right there. Okay, let me give you a very applicable way of what I'm talking about, okay? Um, because I think most people in their heart want to do something. Uh, Dr. Brad, about about racism and about racial unity. And they just don't know what to do it because it's become so inflated and, and, and so um, it, it's just become such an enormously huge topic. They don't know what to do. Let me give you an example. One of my best friends in the whole world is a black gentleman. And one of the best conversations I've ever had about racism and understanding the, the uh, vantage point of a black man because I'm not black. I, I told you, I'm, my father was Mexican. My mother was, was Caucasian. So I'm, I guess you call me half and half. But I sat in a car with my friend, who's a black gentleman. He has a family. I have a family. He has a wife, children. I have wife and children. So we had to have this conversation, Brad, at 11 o'clock at night after everybody was in bed, <laughs> after we had fulfilled our, our family duties, we sat in a car at a, drive, uh, a, a drive-in restaurant and we got some food and we sat in a car and we just talked to each other for about an hour. And listening to him uh, tell stories of his upbringing, specific instances of what he dealt with, helped me tremendously, Brad. In one hour uh, from one conversation, I received more 
from that conversation that I ever had any media report on television. Because when he told me his story, there was no bias, there was no slant, there was no angle, there was no manipulation. It was me and him trying to understand each other better. And then I was able to share with him my vantage point. But here was the, the moment. Now, I use the word magic as hyperbole. Here was the magic moment, okay? When we got out of that car, we still did not agree on everything from A to Z. And that's what's happening around us is there's this tribalistic nature when it comes to this discussion that if you don't agree with me 1,000%, you are dead wrong. I got out of that car understanding him more and, and us not necessarily agreeing. But what we agreed is that I love him as a brother and Lord. He loves me. And we're going to continue to understand each other better. So if someone wants to do something about this situation, Brad, find someone who's different than you and have the guts and, and the courage to just sit down and say, hey, can we get through the awkwardness? And there might be some awkwardness, Brad, in the first few minutes of a conversation like that. But man, when you move through that, it will change your life. Yeah. What you're talking about is the power of conversation, the power of having a chat, a talk. And yes. there's so much of that that in the noise of our culture and the noise of our world, whether it be political or whether it be, you know, pressures of life, the adversities that we like to talk about here on the pathway to promise. Those are the things that can distract us from what is the main thing. And one of the ways to get through bad times, depression, let's say, is to be engaged with other people. And if you want to deal with the issue of, of, of racial uh, adversity, then talk to someone who's different than, than you. And I'm, Pleased and you know, pleased with my life to have that experience as well. Not unlike what you have shared here, but you know, those things don't often happen naturally, do they, Tony? You have to seek them out. You have to go for it. And I'm hearing you say you're trying to give us a framework and some some tools to do j just that. And also, just to name the issue, that forgiveness issue. <laughs> I think it's yes. so so big. Just name it. Let's just say that too often that I'm too proud or I'm too arrogant or I'm too uh, stuck on my own world to ask for forgiveness of what I've done or to hear someone when they want me to, for, to uh, forgive them. I hear what I'm hearing and what you're sharing here, Tony, a lot of what you're sharing is, is an encouraging word. Are you an encouraging guy, Tony? Well, Brad, I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you very much because um, the, uh, the the mantra the motto i've adopted in life since our conference time together you know the conference we spent together was very powerful and i think people were getting some great ideas and fresh directions so i'm so thankful that you said that because um, my new motto uh, brad is is this um, relaunching lives empowering encouragement on the road from lack to life and i thank you because yes i believe I, I try to be encouraging because I believe the gospel is encouraging. The gospel is tough. Yes. The gospel is no nonsense. Yes. But at the end of the day, the gospel is encouraging. So yes, Brad, I try to live yeah. that in my life as well. Well, if people want to learn more about this new model that you have on encouragement and helping people move through this process, uh, how can people find out more about you, about your books, about anything else that you have to offer? Tell us about what, how people can learn more about you, Tony. Absolutely. And I will quickly share um, something that, that happened regarding this book just to give people incentive and, and um, 
edify them to, to maybe seek this book and, and, and read it themselves. I have a, a pastor friend similar to you, but he's in a different part of the country. He read this book. He is a pastor of a multi-ethnic, multicultural congregation. And he went online and of his own free will, he posted these words. He said, this book, Forced Turnovers, should be required reading. And he used the words required reading to understand racial unity. And so I tell you that not to boast because we only boast in the Lord, Dr. Brad. I, I tell you Absolutely. this, I tell you this because people are reading this book and they are getting a message that they're not getting anywhere else. And it's a message that will work, not because it's my message, but because it's from the timeless message of the scriptures. And there's a, a point where the lead character in this book, I mean, he deals face to face with not wanting to go do what God would have him to do. And again, you have not served God until you've had to confront that question. God will ask you to do something you don't want to do. So, but if you do it, the, the outcome is far better than you could have thought. So um, you can find me a number of ways, but my name is Tony Ceballos and Ceballos is with a C. So if you type in TonySeballosAuthor.com, it will take you to my website, TonySeballosAuthor.com. If that's too difficult, just go to the title of the book, Forced Turnovers, a novel for racial unity. And you can just start with the title if you want, Forced Turnovers. You can find this book multiple places, multiple platforms, Amazon, Books a Million, BarnesandNoble.com. It's available in hardback, softcover, uh, ebook. Um, it will, the audio version I plan to have out early next year. And then you can also find me, Tony Ceballos, author, on Facebook and uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those normal platforms. But I'm going to quickly share something with you, Dr. Brad. Again, I haven't shared anywhere else but here. So awesome. you're getting it first today. First. Uh, and exclusive. I'm loving it. Go ahead. <laughs> Coming in um, early 2020. In fact, about as early as you can get, January 2nd, 2020. I'm releasing an online course called the Your Series. And why is it called the Your Series? Because it's for you. It's your series. And I will reveal the four pillars of life balance. We're all seeking balance in life, Brad. And there are four pillars that if your life is atop these four pillars, you will find balance in life. And these four pillars are your faith, your time, your gift, and your money. These are the four pillars, your faith, your time, your gift, and your money. If you build your life upon those four pillars, you are going to find balance. So Pre-sales will begin for these online courses. Each course contains a video teaching, very in-depth video teaching, 90 minutes to 120 minutes, and um, a 25-day resource guide. And there's even a discount if you buy our four pillars. And I will tell you this, Dr. Brad, and I say this again, we don't boast in ourselves, but we boast in the Lord. 2020 will be here before you know it. And the reason why I know that is because 2019 <laughs> got here before I knew it. Absolutely. And so the same will be next year. But if, if someone takes these four courses and does four courses for 25 days consecutively, by the time Resurrection Sunday in 2020 gets around, your life will be unrecognizably balanced. Awesome. And so I encourage you to look for that. That's coming 2020. Awesome. We'll put links to all this stuff on our website, uh, 
pathwaypromise.com. And so people can get connected to you, Tony Sabayas. And we do appreciate all you've had to offer here. Again, uh, the book is Forced Turnovers, a novel for racial unity. Some riveting stories there with Tony Sabalas, the author of Forced Turnovers. Some things that can really speak into your life. And I hope that you heard them and will apply them into your life, especially as you interact with people who are different than you. This might be a racial issue. It might be a social economic issue. It may be an issue of language or uh, cultures, any number of things that can be differences. But let's look for common areas that we can see and see uh, how we can work together on things. I hope you heard some of uh, Tony's story about how his experience spoke, spoke into what he wrote in his fictional book called Forced Turnovers, but how it could speak into our life too. For instance, how he, how he lost a best friend to illness while he was writing the book and how that impacted him and, and some of the areas that he was talking about, about uh, how to overcome adversity, over, overcome really significant challenges in your life. It's, he's really about encouraging people, you see. He's really about uh, helping encourage you and helping promote personal growth. So I hope you heard him also share about his courses that he offers and other ways that he can speak into your life and help you move to what, uh, what I like to call your promised life, your life of peace and prosperity and purpose. So Tony Savalas, our author, guest today here on the Pathway to Promise podcast, a great resource for you. Here at the Pathway to Promise, we hope we are a great resource for you as well. Our website, pathwaypromise.com, has a wealth of information in over 100 podcast episodes, which teach you about how to overcome adversity, like like a depression or a death in the family or a crushing debt or perhaps a diagnosis of a disease or maybe a divorce or some other breakup, some relationship issue. There's all kinds of things that happen to us. And you need, we all need help. We all need guides to help guide us through things. For instance, Tony's book is a great guide to navigate uh, racial tensions. Pathwaypromise.com, we got a free gift for you there. And we want to speak into your life because you are a good person and you, have, you deserve good things. And we believe that is the promised life of peace and prosperity and purpose. We're here for you. Pathwaypromise.com with Dr. Brad Miller. Until next time, friends, this is Dr. Brad Miller. I want to encourage you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. Thanks so much for taking the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. As a subscriber, you'll be a vital part of the Pathway to Promise community. Visit us on the web at pathwaypromise.com. Until next time, remember to stay on your Pathway to Promise.